As the kids go upstairs, we're going to lean into that a little bit more. Um, So let me read a scripture for us. If you've been here since just before Palm Sunday, you know we've been inching our way through Hebrews 11 and 12. And today we're going to finish up that little series um, with the the grand finale of Hebrews 12 2. Let me read verses 1, 2, and 3 from the book of Hebrews. Says the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer, and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray for us one more time before we go deeper into this. Gracious God, teach us this morning the power of who you are, Open our eyes, fix our eyes on you, and change our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What is the ultimate posture of victory? What is the ultimate posture of victory? Is it hands in the air, I win? Or is it jumping up and down? Or is it climbing the the stairs to the very top of the podium so that you are above the rest. Second place is a little bit lower than you. Third place is a little bit lower. All the other people don't even get to go on the podium, but you're at the top of the podium. Is that the ultimate posture of victory? Or is it this? You may have wondered why there's a random chair sitting up here, and this is the reason why. I'm going to preach this sermon sitting today because it feels really good, first of all. It's a comfortable chair. I feel like I should have a cup of coffee now. Um, But this is the posture of Jesus' victory. Did you see that in Hebrews 12, 2? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning the the shame, and sat down at the throne, the right hand of the throne of God. So as I sit here, this is going to be a really nice sermon. I just, I'm appreciating this already. Can you hear me okay? Can you see me okay? Okay. This might, this might turn into a pattern. Uh, Probably not. Probably not. But for today it works because Jesus, when he defeated sin and death forever, he sat down. He didn't need to raise his hands in the air. He didn't need to climb up to to the top of a podium. He sat down. That was the ultimate posture of victory. And as I was thinking about sitting down this week, being a victorious thing, um, two thoughts went through my mind. Number one is I'm pretty sure I had read things in the news over the last few years talking about how bad it is for how much we sit today. 
You ever noticed um, how more and more people are getting standing desks to work at? Because people are discovering, medically speaking, how as a culture, we've never sat as much as we do today. I mean, there's whole industries built around couches and lazy boys and comfortable desk chairs and getting as comfortable as you can to travel. You, you don't walk from place to place anymore. You sit in as comfortable of a seat as you can afford to get there. And we are a sitting culture. And people are beginning to realize that that actually has really negative effects on your posture, on even your health. And there's all kinds of articles out there saying we should stand more. So that was one thing going through my mind. The second thing going through my mind, though, was my 93-year-old grandfather who lives with my parents in their downstairs area of their house. And whenever I go to visit my parents' house now once or twice a year, we walk in the front door and guess who is always sitting in the exact same place as a model of consistency and welcome and love and rest. It's Papa, my grandfather. That's what we call him, Papa. He sits in this chair and he watches TV and he reads books and he drinks glass bottle Coca-Colas and eats pimento cheese sandwiches because that's what you do when you grow up in southern Georgia. And he, he is a model of rest, welcome, and love. And when I go home to visit, if he's alive, he's going to be sitting in that chair. And it's a symbol of of the victorious life that he's had in some sense. A retired man just enjoying spending time with his family, doing the things he loves. When Jesus stood up out of the grave on Easter morning, he did so so that he could sit right back down on the throne of God. Four times in the book of Hebrews, this is mentioned. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews 8, verse 1. Hebrews 10, verse 12. And then here in Hebrews 12, and it always says it the same way. He sat down at the right hand of God. But what does this mean for us, for you and me? We're all sitting here together now. Usually it's just me standing here at the front delivering something, but we're all on equal playing fields now. We're sitting down. So let me go into those three things, rest, welcome, and love. That's what Jesus is displaying for us when he sat down. First is rest. Jesus was resting because the war is over. The war for sin and death to be defeated is over on Easter morning. When he walked out of the grave, he sat back down soon after because his work was finished, it says in John chapter 19. And so I want to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, not the very, very beginning, but a story towards the very beginning that you're all familiar with, which is Noah and the ark. Remember, sin had entered the world. God was very displeased, so he flooded the whole earth, except for Noah and his family, and they got together on the ark. And 40 days, they rode the high waves. And at the end of those days, it said the ark came to rest at the top of Mount Ararat, Genesis 8, 4. Came to rest. That's what the ark did. This vessel of salvation, of saving Noah and his family, after the war was done, the flood, it came to rest. 
And that is the same word that's used in Hebrews 12, the exact same word. When Jesus sat down, you could say the ark sat down at the top of Mount Ararat. Or you could say, conversely, Jesus came to rest at the throne of God. It's the same image. See the consistency of God, how he works. And then what, what comes out soon after the ark comes to rest? What does God put up in the sky as a covenant reminder? We all kind of collectively look like it today. If you put all of our Easter colors together, I see purple and yellow and red and white and all of it. A rainbow comes into the sky. And the arc of a rainbow is like this, right? And some theologians have pointed out how it might not be so coincidental that a rainbow's arc kind of looks like a bow that is placed hanging up onto a wall with the, the, the reflective part coming down as if to show that no longer is the arrow pointed at humanity anymore. God's wrath is not pointed at you and me anymore. But as the bow is facing up, actually it's God saying, I'm going to take the arrow for you. The bow is in the sky. It's pointing God's direction. And when Jesus comes and dies on the cross later, that is him taking the arrow of God straight to his heart for you and me. Fulfillment of the rainbow in the sky. Jesus took the curse of humanity on himself and came out victorious. One, one unknown author said this, quote, if Christ had leapt off of the cross and had recalled the blood that striped his face, the blood that colored the head of each prove thyself driven nail, if he had uprooted that tree from Golgotha and then hurled it at men, all that to say, if he had just said, forget the cross, I'm throwing it back at humanity. If he had done all of that, then maybe all of humanity might believed that he was God's son. And he would not have been. Because the cross was necessary for God to show his true love for us. And so when Jesus bore the cross on Good Friday, that alone is what allowed him to say, it is finished. John 19.30, sin is dealt with, death is defeated, and then evil has no final ultimate hope. We still feel the evil today, but it's just on a ticking time that will one day be fully eradicated forever. And so when Jesus sat down, he ensured us that a Sabbath rest is still possible for all of humanity and ultimately that safety is possible for us. I just think again, I'm gonna keep bringing up the image of my grandfather sitting in that chair. He's the safest guy on planet earth, I think. You know, he, his hearing is not great. He's just so content to sit there and if there's a big storm that comes through, he usually doesn't even know it happened. He's just at rest sitting there. And it just makes me think of a, of a quote that another theologian said. He says, the gospel means that the universe is a perfectly safe place for you to be. Because Jesus died and rose again for you, that means that this is a perfectly safe place for you to be. Though you may die one day, though you will die one day, unless Jesus comes again, you're still safe because Jesus is resting on the throne.
So that's one, that's rest. Number two, welcome. When Jesus sat down, it was his ultimate welcome to all people, meaning that God is findable. Remember when I said that whenever I go to visit my parents' house, I walk in the door and I, I know my grandfather's gonna be sitting right there? It's because he's, he's findable. He is the welcome home for me now when I go home. He sits in that chair and reminds me that he is findable right there. And God is as well. Recently, there was um, a new Netflix documentary that came out that retells the story from about nine years ago of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. Some of you remember this. From March 8th, 2014, it was a flight that was departing from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and it was destined for Hong Kong. A Boeing 777 with 239 people on board disappeared. It vanished. It went off the radar and it was never, it still has never fully been found. And so this documentary goes into all the possibilities and the conspiracies of what might have happened to this airline. And as one guy so bluntly puts it in the middle of the documentary, quote, airplanes don't just disappear. And he's right. Airplanes don't just disappear like this. And that's why it's such a troubling mystery. If there weren't 239 people on board, I'd be kind of laughing and saying, this is ridiculous. But because there's lives at stake, your laughter quickly turns into mourning because of the families you know that have no answers, no certainty. And that's what a lot of the documentary went into was the pain of, of not being able to find their loved ones or the answers. It's a grand mystery and conspiracies abound. Now, some people go the same direction with the death and quote unquote resurrection of Jesus. His body disappeared. And a lot of people would say, human beings don't just disappear. Conspiracies abound. Someone had to steal the body. Maybe he just got knocked out for a really long time and then wandered out to the wilderness and ran away. Or maybe he just vanished into thin air. Is that a problem for you on Easter morning to say, is this really credible? Jesus stood up out of the grave so that he could sit down in victory on the throne of God. We're not gonna get into as much today the visible evidences of Jesus after his resurrection, but for the next three weeks, we will. So if you wanna come back next week and for the next couple of weeks, we're gonna spend three Sundays looking at three different resurrection stories of Jesus, visible evidences of what he did during the 50 days between rising from the dead and ascending back up into heaven. So I do encourage you to, to come back or to listen in the next couple of weeks. We are gonna get into that because you may be curious. But for today, the point is that when Jesus rose from the dead, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, meaning you know where to find him. He's on the throne, he's ruling, he's reigning, he's findable, and he's welcoming you to come to him. Just like my grandfather, when I talked to him on the phone says, when are you coming to visit? That's what Jesus similarly is saying to us. 
Jeremiah 29, one of the Old Testament prophets says, you will seek me and find me. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And Jesus himself, before his death in Matthew 11 says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The rest that Jesus is experiencing sitting back in the throne of God next to the Father is the rest that he's inviting you to experience as well. Jesus is sitting and welcoming you and me. There's a place for us right next to him. You know, there's another scripture later on. This may be later in the sermon, so if it is, I'll just skip it later. But Revelation chapter 3, it says that Jesus not only is sitting on the right hand of the throne of God, but he's preparing a place for you and I to sit right next to him. That when we go to the Father, we will sit right next to him. He's inviting us, he's welcoming us into his everlasting rest. Not to be God ourselves, but to be a co-heir with him. All that is his will one day be also ours, resting next to God in eternity. And so lastly, the third point, love. When Jesus sat down, it was his ultimate display of love for us. You might, you might be cynical enough to be thinking in your heart, if Jesus is sitting down in the, at the throne of God, does that mean he's not active in the world today? Does that mean he's distant? Does that mean he's like a lazy dad watching football on a Sunday afternoon, ignoring everything else around him? Is that what God is like now? Has he, has he said, my work is done, now you guys do the rest of the chores? You might cynically go to that place if not for the love of God. If not for what I'm about to tell you next. You know, we've had the joy twice in the last couple of weeks for a few of us in the church to go to um, a memory care facility in Danvers and do a a little church service and then like an Easter service this week um, for 20 to 30 folks who are struggling with memory uh, loss and are, are getting older. And one of them is, is Julie's father, um, who's part of our church here. And there's just a phrase I can't get out of my head, Julie. And it's your dad saying, when, when anybody would sit down next to him, he would grab their hand and just say, gosh, I love you. Even having never met the man before, he just would grab your hand and say, gosh, I love you. And that's, that's an image of God the Father for me. You know, Jesus is outside of time and space now, meaning he's not a human standing here in the room with us today. He's outside of time and space. He's, he can see everything from beginning to end. He is he's able to see the entire scope of life, which means he knows you fully and completely, which means that he, he, if he was still on earth, he couldn't know you as well as he knows you right now. You know, Jesus was a, a Jewish-born carpenter for 33 years or so on earth, and he knew those around him really well. But when he now is back sitting on the throne of God, now he is that deeply engaged with each of us, always. And this is why he left and sent the Holy Spirit to live in us. You know, Jesus says, it's better for you if I leave because I'll send my helper to be with you always in your heart, 
in your spirit, the Holy Spirit, who will know you and, to, and guide you into all things. You know, what one pastor says, the spirit inside you is better than the Jesus beside you. I think he's on to something there. Jesus is sitting on the throne and is inviting you to join him, to eat a new meal with him at the great banquet of God at the end of all things, to reign with him, as I mentioned from Revelation 3, and to live in the place he's prepared for you. John 14 has that beautiful image of Jesus saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he talks about you know, a house with many rooms, one that is prepared just for you. And that's what he's doing. He's sitting in that grand house of God on the throne, preparing a place for you and me to rest, to be welcomed, and to be fully known by God. So to conclude, Hebrews 12, 3, don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Jesus is on the throne. We're encouraged in Hebrews 12, 3 to consider him, to consider Jesus who went through all this for us so that we would not lose heart, so that we would not grow weary. You know, the, the bar to believe in Jesus is actually very low. It's not like you have to be an Olympic you know, athlete to jump over the bar of belief in Jesus. It's actually a very low bar. It's not about your goodness or your work or your training or your expertise. It's just about receiving a free gift of grace through faith in him. So jump over the bar, but also know that though the bar is low, the gate is narrow. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Low bar, narrow gate, but Jesus freely invites, come old with your walker, come young while you're still crawling. That's why I love this church. We got all of it. Come with your difficulties, come with your questions. Come stumbling, bumbling, and even grumbling. That's my only rhyme. Come tripping and skipping. Okay, I did rhyme again. Come afraid and come desperate. Come running and come eager. Come imperfect and come broken. But come with your eyes fixed on Jesus and he'll walk you through that narrow gate and there you will find rest. One person said, how can you tell if it's really a work of God? It's not how high you jump, but it's how straight you walk when you land. And so that's why we're encouraged in Hebrews 12 to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because if you fix your eyes on Jesus, he will, he will walk straight in front of you and you can just follow right after him. He trailblazes. Remember, he's the pioneer. The last image I'll leave you with before we sing some more songs is a news article that's the, the, the title of the news article from 2020 said, sitting on the floor, is it better than sitting on a chair? If you ever wonder what a pastor does during Holy Week, I read articles like this. But there was one quote in that article that I want, I want you to take home with you, and it's this one. Quote, children often naturally gravitate to sitting on the floor. Think about those children that are upstairs. There's probably a lot of them that chose to sit on the floor instead of to sit in a chair. 
And when you sit on the floor, that means you're putting yourself below anybody else and you're looking for guidance and you're just content to be sitting. I would say that you and I walk the straightest when we sit on the floor because we know that Jesus sits on the throne. We look, we can see him the clearest from that angle, I think, when we have that kind of humility to sit on the floor and look at Jesus who's sitting on the the grandest chair of all chairs, the throne of God. And so that's the encouragement is to fix our eyes on him, the pioneer, perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So don't give up. Amen. Let me pray for us. And then we're going to finish with celebrating by singing a couple of songs led by our worship team. So Heavenly Father, thank you that you are victorious. You fought the battle. You've won the battle. You are going to finish the job. Help us to fix our eyes on you. Pray for each person here. Fill them with joy and hope today. Help them to to see how, how much you've done for us and the invitation you have for us to follow you. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.